Hi. <laughs> um, I, I don't like being put on after Phil. It always feels like a case of follow that. Um, uh, Phil is a complete star, and I had the privilege to go out to visit Salem a couple of years ago um, for, to spend a week. And it was really funny because I arrived thinking I was going to learn and do training with him. Um, and uh, I met him in a tea shop because Phil is really into his um, proper tea. He's not a coffee drinker. Um, and uh, <laughs> I met him in a tea shop. And he said, oh, the guys are out tomorrow morning. You need to meet them such and such a place. Just go and join in. Right, okay, what about my training? No, 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 he said, I'm running training at the end of the week when the 200 people come in on on, uh, on the actual Halloween day. Um, you can join in that. Um, that was the day before I flew home. So, <laughs> so I spent a week sitting in the gazebo on the streets of Salem doing spiritual, uh, spiritual readings, dream interpretations, or Jesus step card readings, that kind of stuff, all of which I had had the privilege to be able to do alongside the Decami team um, in the Mind, Body, Spirit Fairs in London with Johnny and Steve Hollinghurst and Andrea and people like that. So that's where I started to cut my teeth when it came to knowing about um, alternative spiritualities and particularly the kind of mind, body, spirit, or as we tend to refer to it in Glastonbury as mind, body, wallet. Because um, <laughs> sadly, there's an awful lot of money changes hands for the most bizarre things. Um, so anyway, uh, for those of you that don't know, my background is with an organisation called Church Army. Um, so I trained 17, 18 years ago now. That's really terrifying. I did 10 years with Church Army. They did try to shoehorn me into a grey uniform. You can see it worked really well. Um, <laughs> I then went and trained as a pioneer priest um, in the Church of England, and HTB did their worst as well because I went to St. Melitus. <laughs> it really doesn't work. You know what? If God says you're not meant to fit in that box, you don't fit in that box. So, uh, uh, <laughs> thanks, Andy. <laughs> so, I, um, at the end of my training, I went to, uh, I was released from my diocese because I didn't fit in that box either. And uh, um, and I applied to uh, the post that had come up for a priest to be the Avalon Pioneer Minister. What a cool job title, eh? Avalon Pioneer Minister. And uh, the, the straight and normal side of it is working in street. And I'm a chaplain to Strode College, which is very ordinary and very normal. But we get students from Glastonbury. And then the other side of it is working with the, um, with the alternative community in Glastonbury. Except that when I went for my interview, I dressed down because actually, uh, what I realised afterwards is I'd have never got the job if I'd turned up looking like this because they were looking for an ordinary person to work with the ordinary communities. Well, actually, these days, the ordinary community of Glastonbury is predominantly alternative. So, um, and, that's, and that's what I live and work in, and I love it. Just to say, the Glastonbury Festival is actually seven miles up the road from Glastonbury. It's in Pilton. The locals mostly refer to it as the Pilton Pop Festival because they're really offended that Michael Eve stole the name of Glastonbury Town and called the festival after it. When it's on, it is uh, particularly on the Sunday with all the day ticket holders there as well. There are 300,000 people on the site. It becomes the biggest city in Somerset, the third biggest city in the southwest of England for uh, four days, basically. It is insane, and it disrupts the whole of the local area for quite some time, both before and after it. Um, it's amazing. 
insane. It's not like Burning Man. Um, I've heard a lot about Burning Man from Phil. I was going to go this summer, but it just didn't work out. So I'll be there soon. <laughs> um, but Glastonbury Festival, I have the privilege of being a chaplain. <laughs> 300,000 people, and there's four of us. Um, it's a be chaplain. There are one or two different uh, expressions of Christianity in that context. There is a church tent doing 1970s welfare, Christian kind of kumbaya and that kind of stuff. And I'm sorry if any of you are or have been part of that team. It is still the same. It is cheesy. And I have been, somebody wrote to the bishop and told told them that I said it was bishop uh, cheesy and I should be thrown out of the church for that. However, it is cheesy, it is naff, and it is culturally utterly irrelevant. The thing about Glastonbury Festival is if you look at it as one big festival, then um, you're never going to be able to do anything effective. But what you can do is look at Glastonbury Festival as lots of mini festivals all in the same place. So the place that I really identify with is um, called the Greenfield site. can't think why that would be. Um, <laughs> name, Diana Greenfield. Um, anyway... All the people in Glastonbury think I have the best pagan name, by the way. And <laughs> so the Greenfield site is where all the healing fields areas are. It's where all the green craft activities are. Um, and basically, it's where an awful lot of local Glastonbury people, not only do they go and work, but those that have then gone to pay to go to the festival go and hang out. They'll listen to local musicians playing on stages that are powered by bicycles, um, you know, the electricity by bicycles. They want to do that eco-sustainability stuff, and that's where they hang out. So when I get to Glastonbury Festival, that's what I do, is I go and hang out in the wizard yurt that is run by my friends Max and Lisa, who are fire wizards. Um, and they say, you know what, Diana, you can bring your spiritual readings, you can bring your Jesus deck, you can sit outside the tent or in it if it's raining, and you can just meet with people and chat with people. And that's what I do. And, uh, and, and that's where I'm in a field. And what's really amazing is that I get to spend time with people who I dash past on the high street on a day-to-day -day basis and don't get a chance to talk to them. Um, and this is where I've really realized that festivals are quite an amazing place to hang out, is because people who I know really well, or I think I know really well, we don't have the chance to stop and have those philosophical conversations. We don't have the chance to stop and have those pastoral conversations or for God to have room in what is going on in their lives or mine because we're so busy rushing around doing other things. My 10 years as a church army evangelist, I was actually a nightclub chaplain. I know it sounds quite far-fetched when you see me standing dressed like this, but it's not so far removed. It was still the edges and the boundaries of where the church was going. Um, and when I look now, I realise the nightclub uh, culture is all but gone. People used to save their money up to go out and have a big blast of a weekend and a whole bunch of nightclubs, get wasted, ruin their lives, whatever. Um, nowadays, what they do is they save their money up to go to festivals. And yet again, we're not there. We're not there. Um, Andrea asked me to talk about fairies. So I've talked a little bit about Glastonbury because I can't not when I'm based in the town. Um, I want to show you my fairy wings. <laughs> I wear my fairy wings with my dog collar. So the story is that um, in 
Glastonbury, twice a year, we have this fa uh, fair. It's a fairy fair and fairy ball brought in by a lady called Karen Kay. And for the last 10 or 12 years, she's been bringing this event to the town. And it's big, isn't it? Emma and Glyn come down. Matt's been down to see it. You haven't been, have you yet, Phil? Not in the country at the right time. Um, but the fairy fair is really good fun. And we get hundreds of people rock up in our party town um, wanting to dress up as fairies, nymphs, uh, mermaids, unicorns, and anything else that you can think of, lots of magical, mystical beings. Underneath all that is actually a real desire for the whole kind of mind, body, spirit thing. Um, and it's quite a pagan festival, a pagan weekend um, that goes on in the town. Now, I have a friend that said to me, oh, you must meet Karen. She's really cool, this lady that runs the festival. So over a period of time, I got to know Karen uh, quite well. And I sit and I have chats with her. And she said, oh, you must come to um, the Three Wishes Fairy Festival that we run down in Cornwall. They, it's at Tor Point at Mount Edgecombe House in Cornwall. And it's great. It's such a beautiful view. Um, it's one of the cleanest, prettiest little festivals that the UK has to offer. And uh, so... She said, you must come down and see. And I said, well, I, I really need to know, before I kind of get involved in this, what you really think fairies are. Because I kind of would like to know what I'm letting myself in for. And she said, well, actually, she said, I really, I really believe in God. She said, and so as far as I'm concerned, fairies are essentially um, earth angels. But she tells stories about the way that she's seen fairies from ever since she was a child. And, you know, but she can't kind of reconcile that into the context of a Christian church or um, whatever. So... I was like, well, I can live with that. So I started going along to the events in Glastonbury and then she gave me a ticket and said, come to the festival. So I went to the festival and uh, I wore my dog collar and I wore my fairy wings and I spent the entire weekend walking around essentially like a chaplain with people going, great fancy dress. I'm like, no, it's not fancy dress. <laughs> the dog collar's real. And they couldn't believe it because they couldn't believe that somebody was willing to admit that they were a Christian in that context. And I had the most incredible conversations, the depth of conversation about what people believed. There's Paul, is it Paul that says, always be prepared to give an answer? He's writing to Timothy, isn't he? Always be prepared to give an answer for what you believe. And fortunately, training as a church army evangelist, I knew this quite well. So I have, I, I tend to say to people when they start to tell me what they don't believe about Christianity, I'm like, give me 10 minutes. Don't interrupt. Don't, you can ask me all the questions you like at the end, but give me 10 minutes and I'll tell you what I believe. And then we can have a conversation. Because if, if we start from a place where they're telling me what they think I should believe, then we're never going to get it right. So I... And I tell it, but I start from creation. I start from the story of Adam and Eve in a broken world. And for me, the whole journey is all about relationships and covenant. And when I put it into that kind of context, and the fact that Jesus is the restoration of our broken covenant and the hope for our eternal life, they look at me and go, why did the, nobody ever tell us that before? Why did the church never say that? I used to be part of a Sunday school. I used to go to church. I sang in the choir. I did this, I did that. And I was hurt by such and such. And nobody ever told me that kind of stuff. So that's what I do. And that's what I've been doing. And it's been such a privilege. And the best things that have come out of that, and this is where fairies, two years I walked around the field um, wearing my fairy wings, wearing my dog collar, having those kind of, kind of conversations. And I've got to know Karen really well. She was running an event in Glastonbury over the new year, 18 months ago. And she came bounding up to me and she said, Diana, I've got to tell you this. 
I'm going to be in trouble for this one, aren't I, Emma? <laughs> You're not allowed to tell anybody beyond this room. <laughs> no, it's right. But just, just respect that what I'm telling you is quite important. Yeah. <laughs> no. She says, I've got to tell you this. She said, I've accepted Jesus into my heart. But I can't tell anybody because I run a really, really big pagan festival and I don't want them to know. So what she does is she rings me up or she messages me and I and to pray for things or to ask me to, you know, ask God for things um, and to ask questions about what she believes because she's not in a place where she feels that she can engage with others doing that at the moment. So pray for her. It's really important. Um, but then, so I went to have coffee with her in April of this year. I had just been on retreat, staying at a friend of mine's house down in Cornwall. And I messaged her and I said, I'm 10 minutes away. If you're in, let's have a cup of tea. And we chatted for about an hour about all things irrelevant. And then after an hour, I was asking her about how the planning for the festival was going on. And she said, well, actually, we've just let go the people that were going to run the second big venue for the site. Right, okay. She said, I'm not really sure what we're going to do at the moment. And there are times in my life when I think, I never said that. How did those words leave my mouth? Because the next words that left my mouth went along the lines of, well, of course, you know that if you, um, whoever else you get in, you need somebody who's going to stand between the festival and them and help them be part of what the whole fairy festival is about. Because otherwise, they're just going to be plonked in the middle of a fairy festival, not have a clue what's going on and not really kind of engaged with everything else. And she went, yeah, you're right. The next words were, you know I've run festival venues before, don't you? Would you like me to do it for you? <laughs> and I'm sat there going, what just happened? And I drove away thinking, what just happened? Because needless to say, Karen just literally bit my hand off. She was like, would you really? Would you re really do that for me? And you don't want being paid? And I'm like, no, 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 I'll do that. This was six weeks before the start of the festival. Four weeks before the start of the festival, she'd sent me a picture of the venue she'd booked. And it was a circus big top that needed decorating, that needed a bar, that needed a cafe and a stage and all that kind of... And I'm like, what on earth have I done? Really, really briefly, the weekend of the festival, the guy that came in to bring this tent and this, uh, this circus big top was a very, very difficult person to deal with. And I did exactly what I said I would do, which was to stand in the, back, in the gap between her as the festival organiser and the event and him and enable that to become part of the festival so that the people who came to the festival didn't realise that there was a problem and had a thoroughly good time, all of which happened. She still hasn't plucked up the courage to ring the guy because he's been so rude to her. And uh, But by the end of the weekend, her and her little team said, Diana, you pulled off a miracle. And I went from, in one fell swoop, being the chaplain that ponced around with my fairy wings on to being on the planning committee of a festival that used to have four people on it and now has five. Next year, I'm going back and I'm going to run a team of 10 people running that festival. So if you're interested in coming to play with the fairies in Cornwall next year, Phil's coming, Glyn and Emma come, um, and I will always... Oh, yes, you can come too. In fact, yeah, I've got a plan for you guys if you want to come. <laughs> 
because I want some entertainment. <laughs> so yeah, come play. And one of the things we're going to do is the Mad Hatter's Tea Party, um, which is I'm really, really excited about. And it's simply to bless the festival and bless the people that run the festival. So I'm not making any money for us or any Christian venture at all. I want to make money for the festival. And, uh, and then because actually from that, people will see that we are simply there to love them. And uh, two more things to say. One is, you might wonder why I'm holding this. This was made for me. And Glyn knows the story of this probably even better than I do. Two of the guys that come to the fairy festivals, um, Sadie and Jack. Jack's background is Jehovah's Witness, actually. Um, and he's very been, been very, very hurt by that. And they're both quite pagan. They live in a field. And they are absolutely enormous people. Glyn and Emma are having a celebration later on this year. And I'm really excited to be part of it. And uh, alongside some other celebrants. And I said, well, those celebrants will have staffs, and I want one too. So I spoke to Jack, and I said, I want a staff. And he said, well, what do you want on it? I said, well, I want an amethyst, um, and I like the horns on the top, and I like the twisty wood. But other than that, I don't mind. He went away um, totally blown away that I'd commissioned this and basically sat and created. This is a story of the Trinity in so many different ways, and I haven't got time to tell you. The stone on it was one that... Um, he'd found years ago on a pilgrimage he'd done and he'd picked it up. There's metal in the bottom that's copper. There's iron in the top that's uh, iron in the top and there's symbolism about that. All of which I can tell you if you really want to know. But this staff is something that is so special to me because not only um, was it made by Jack but because of the stories that he's put into it. So that was the one other thing I was going to tell you. 